The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. There. Now, for the past week, our own Sean Moncrief has been abroad in Somalia, where he got a first-hand view of severe flooding, which, according to the Somali government, has left half a million people displaced in the country. With the war in Ukraine and now in Palestine, uh, pretty much every other news story gets pushed off the front pages, and yet a humanitarian disaster is unfolding in Somalia. Sean is back, and he's in studio in Dublin. Sean, good morning. Good morning, Pat. Now, the reason uh, for your trip, as I say, most of the, the, the stories of this flood are not on the front pages. We're not hearing about them. No, we're not hearing about them. And as you said, the, the, the world gets distracted by these things. And also as well, the war in Ukraine had a direct effect on Somalia because of uh, it affected grain exports, some of which would have been uh, diverted in terms of aid to Somalia. So, so they were hit by that. And the reason we were there was in, well, ostensibly because of the floods, but uh, it's important to understand that it's not just this emergency, it's one emergency banging after another. A lot of people, uh, millions of people, are internally displaced people in, in Somalia. Initially, they were fleeing uh, war uh, because of the ongoing war against Al-Shabaab. Then there was five years of drought and, and 70% of the population of Somalia are pastoralists. They're basically subsistence farmers. They have a few animals and they grow some crops. The five years of drought killed all the animals uh, and destroyed all those crops. They were then forced to, to leave the areas they lived in and look for shelter in the IDP camps. Then many people in the IDP camps, who might have been there for a few years, are subjected to flash floods. So they have to move to other IDP camps to try and get some sort of uh, a comfort away from uh, from the rising waters. And the, we visited a camp called Dulo, uh, which is in the west of the country, uh, which uh, um, has half a million IDPs there. And we, we saw ourselves now people at the most rudimentary living conditions. People would turn up there and construct basically a kind of a hut for themselves. It, it would be the size of a, a four-person tent, say. Uh, they'd put it together with twigs. They'd, they'd scavenge some tarpaulin to put over it. And you'd have families, uh, uh, as many as 10 people, sleeping in these huts. And the heat was absolutely blistering there, Pat. Especially inside. I, I, I don't know how people could endure it. And they're not getting handouts of food in many cases, uh, nor fresh water. Uh, and they have to try and scavenge those uh, things themselves. And that's not even to uh, mention the, the arduous journey uh, many of them took to get there. And, and so the, the first clip I do want to play, uh, play for you uh, is uh, from a woman, and she tells us about how she got to the camp in the first place. Uh, my name is Greta Barre, and I've been living here for a period of five months. And w- where was she living before that? Previously, I used to live nearby shelters, but currently, when this IDB was set up, I moved here. And, and has she been affected by the floods? I've been affected by the floods, and I moved to the nearby uh, relative's house. For the period the floods were okay, and so was the the shelter she was staying in was that was that destroyed by the floods? All her, all my belongings were washed by the floods. Mm. She hasn't gotten nothing left uh, back home. 
Now she evacuated her previous shelter. Now she lives here. Yeah. And uh, before she came to the camp at all, where did she used to live? In Tano, Tigimanin. Previously, I used to live in a southwest state, 200 kilometers from here. From there, she would have walked all over. Yeah. We have been walking yeah. for a period of 15 days in the road. How many children does she have? Yeah. We are all uh, eight. Eight children. Yeah, eight yeah. children. Yeah. Plus father and the mother, they are total ten. Total dead. Sean, what is it like for you coming from the first world where we all live and seeing this unfold before your eyes? It's uh, it's hard to, to put into words. It's, it's You see, on, on the one hand, there's an awful lot of grimness there, but it's a very lively country. Half the population are under 30. So the Somalis seem to have this amazing knack to get on with things. Um, uh, it's, it's, it was a kind of a mixed picture in a way that the, the day we arrived in Mogadishu Airport, uh, there had been a flash flood. So we emerged from the airport and we couldn't get out because the, 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 the roads were just full of water. And so the Somali airport workers then started getting the, the luggage trolleys and putting people on them and ferrying them around to where there was a bit of uh, dry ground. So uh, you can see on the one hand, and they've had many generations of this, of having to deal with these incredibly difficult situations and we'd never met one Somali who cried or felt particularly uh, sorry for themselves. But this has been their reality for so many years. Um, you spoke to more people in the camp? Yes, we did. And uh, this is and this is a kind of, uh, uh, to illustrate some of the difficulties uh, that the aid agencies uh, have to deal with uh, in terms of what you might call cultural issues. Anyway, th- uh, this is a man uh, who has, I think, in total 12 kids. And so when he came here, did he bring his family with him? And how big <coughs> are his family? So Twelve of them. He has twelve children. Yes. And, and because he has two families. Two families. Yes. Okay. And are all his children uh, healthy? And are they all here? <laughs> So now, some of them are here, and then some of them there in the refugee camp across Ethiopia. And so how many are in this camp? Eight of them here. Eight of them here, yes. Eight of them are, are, are there. Um, the, the question of population and how big it is, and is there any attempt to limit the population to, you know, therefore in time limit the problem? Yeah, well, indeed. And that's, uh, and that's part of the, the, the intricacy of, because obviously the aid agencies, they're dealing with an emergency, but they also want to kind of build for the future. And that man has, uh, that man has, has two wives. Now, polygamy isn't a huge thing in Somalia, but it does kind of speak to how the, the treatment of women there, and there's still an awful lot of progress to be made in, in that particular regard. Uh, female genital mutilation is off the charts in Somalia. 95% of girls will experience it there. And as one uh, worker put it to me, some of the change here has to be revolutionary. Some of it's going to be evolutionary in the sense that it's a, it's a hearts and minds kind of operation. You have to make... 
uh, arguments over long periods of time uh, to try and woo people into seeing what's good for their community. So on, and on that particular point, uh, contraception is is another issue. And we did speak to uh, one of the doctors there uh, on the ground in Dulo about their attempts to try and educate people about contraception. My name is Abdi Sak, medical director of our main health centre. Mostly in our main health centre, we do education for prevention. Then we distribute the mothers, those who are beneficiaries who come there, we distribute condoms. And also we give uh, health education for birth control. Is there any cultural resistance to that? Yeah. Yeah. In Somalia context, mostly they are not using context is not allowed the culture is not allowed yeah yeah so is that difficult then to try and Uh, now we do and bcc behavioral change we are continuing for giving education on using those uh, condoms and also family planning we are doing what's called a behavioral change control for the for the patients uh, for the beneficiaries who are arrive on our main health center yeah, because I'm wondering that you, you give that edu- education to women, but when they go home to their husbands, is, is that a challenge to educate the husbands as well? Uh, sometimes it be challenged. They said our husbands are not allowed because of the context. Sometimes uh, maybe they come with their, with their husband and then they said we need to do this. Then we give them both at the same time for those mobilizations. Well, many problems there, but Sean, what I didn't realise is how you know upbeat they can be about mm. uh, their own situation. It's extraordinary. You were there with UNICEF Ireland? Yes, indeed, yeah. And uh, UNICEF are, are, it must be said, doing tremendous work there. And uh, mostly with kids, of course. The, 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 and we will be playing a, a clip about this later on on, uh, on my own show. We visited a school that UNICEF uh, has sponsored there. And, you know, there, there are these signs of hope for people there. Unfortunately, they're still too slim in the sense that not every kid gets to uh, go to a a school. We we visited a hospital in Mogadishu where we had these terribly, terribly uh, wasted little two-year-olds who were just bags of bones. But for many families in Somalia, if they have eight or nine kids, they're going to ask themselves, do I walk the 100 kilometres to the hospital to save the life of this child? If I do that, who looks after the other children? But there still are those little shards of hope there. And an awful lot of Somalis are working very, very hard to try and recreate their country. To, 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 they're, they're in the process of nation building as far as they're concerned. Sean, thank you very much uh, for that. I'm looking forward to hearing the rest of uh, your reporting this afternoon on your own show starting at uh, two o'clock. Now- the Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9 a.m on news talk